Hello and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast, the one and only podcast where we'll get so tired of butchering everybody's languages that we'll eventually just stop. Yes. I, I, I thought, you, why did you write that tweet out then? But I... Yeah, you, you made it seem like we were just going to continue on, continue the Yeah. I, I, I was gonna say something, but I thought I'll just let it, just like you know, you know how much Matt literally despises. Oh it. no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be getting a little a little meta here because here on the Dad and Sons podcast, we butcher any language we attempt by just attempting to talk in any language, including English. Speaking of the English, the Queen's um, English. We have we have a special guest here. Chris Bat, formerly of Eurogamer, has uh, decided to join us to uh, talk about our previous adventures and his new adventure. Hello, Chris Bat. How are you doing? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. Also, completely guilty of butchering any language I attempt, so I feel like I I'm, I should be quite welcome here. <laughs> the perfect you'll, guest. You'll, you'll fit right in, <laughs> which uh, is is funny to think about because you and I crossed paths in in the land of the Germans. <laughs> uh, having having come from two other places of of the land of uh, English, like okay, wait a second. Cause British means like the whole thing, right? And English is just like the one specific big island. How does? Oh yeah, it's really confusing. United Kingdom is so so. The, there's the British Isles, which is what you think of when you think of what the UK looks like. But mm-hmm. the that's made up of Great Britain, which is the big one on the right, and Ireland on the left. Then. The United Kingdom is the British, the Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but not the rest of Ireland. And then there's each of the individual countries, and then it just gets very, very silly, and we don't even get it right. I think our Olympic team is called Team Great Britain, but it's actually the United Kingdom. So don't worry if you can't figure it out, because we we don't even understand what's happening at this stage. Well, speaking of not figuring things out and not understanding things, I was unable to navigate the German uh, baggage help request system very well. <laughs> uh, I was at Gamescom, and Chris Bratt was at Gamescom, and my bags that had my camera and microphone in it had gotten lost by the airliner, United Airlines, everyone's favorite. Uh, shortly after the episode in which that guy got beat up, uh, my, my bags got beat up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was I was on I was on a journey and Chris Bratt showed up after a Twitter request to save the day had a uh, way way fancier microphone equipment for me to use while I was uh recording one of my interviews. So so thank you very much Chris Bratt for saving my day earlier in my life. <laughs> You're very welcome. Oh, I've been in that exact situation actually. I've turned up at Gamescom after having planned so many things and and being ready to go and then the camera that we brought along just just sort of stopped for a bit. It just stopped working, and we frantically tried to find a replacement. So I feel like I was only sort of extending that favor to you. You you now have to save someone else at Gamescom next time you go. Yes, yes, and and I don't know. Maybe maybe next year I'll end up going back. It was it was quite lovely. The food the food in Germany was amazing. But after having my bags lost, I think I'm gonna like give them another year or so <laughs> just to, to sort that shit out. Yeah, I don't want to go through that, like, twice, two years in a row. Mm. I mean, next time you could go for the full bingo and they could just beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, unlike Matt, though, I didn't have the camera going for the entire time, so I wasn't even able to make a good video out of it. 
Trying to capture the moment, George. Trying to capture the moment. <laughs> George, without Matt's right. wonderful camera work, we wouldn't have had our intro for last week. So, you know. For those uh, eagle-eyed <laughs> viewers of, of the Dad and Sons podcast, the video version available on the YouTube, uh, we had our own orchestra play us in last week, <laughs> the uh, Dad and Son boys. Uh, <laughs> okay, George, you so many good moments that I put in there. I, I edited so much footage in there. And what did you skim through? You skimmed through, didn't that, you? That, there were like you six, skimmed... seven angles, and I picked four. Oh, my God. You picked like two different people, and then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You ended it off. Wait, no. There I was knew you were going to use the, that blurry the keyboard. <laughs> there, there was the stage where everyone was walking off, and I like had our bad takes echoing in the background. And then there was the drummer who, who was like kind of seizuring out in, in a YouTube poop way. Uh, and and a violinman and the crowd. I included your beautiful footage of the crowd waving their cell phones to the Dad and Sons theme song played live by the Dad and Sons boys on stage. Great, absolutely great. It's, it's, it's fine. So so, anyways, uh, uh, special guest Chris Bratt, how are you doing? Are are you lovely today? I'm doing okay. Yeah. So I'm still not really used to hearing formally from Eurogamer. That sort of freaks me out. A little bit at the moment but it's been a few weeks now i'm getting to terms with it um yeah it's it's kind of weird working on your own i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you guys have got any sort of suggestions on how to live like a normal human being do what George no, does. you're never gonna make it to be like a normal congratulations every <laughs> single moment for the rest of your life while you do this is now on the clock <laughs> i am definitely <laughs> doing that I, uh, yeah, I've worked a couple of seven-day weeks so far out of the three weeks that I've been doing this. <laughs> so I feel like I'm setting myself up for a sustainable future. I, I mean, maybe on one hand, it's, there's, there's a lot of mental security that comes from being your own boss and having your own income flow and the security of knowing, like, okay, cool, I'm not going to get laid off. On the other hand, what I'm constantly fearing is, like, more of a slow atrophy of, <laughs> of markets crashing and industries changing and dying. So that's what you got to worry about, <laughs> as well Brilliant. as, like you were mentioning, scheduling. <laughs> Scheduling's a big, huge ordeal that I still haven't really totally figured out. I I ended up taking the plunge and renting out this like co-op office space thing for my self-employed game media Patreon supported job where where every day I have to convince myself to uh go bicycle to over work. <laughs> yeah yeah to to go to work and be in a place where where I like pretend that there's pressure uh uh influencing me into getting my shit done fast enough and they uh like have you sit at a cafeteria table with with coffee provided and um it costs multiple hundreds of dollars a month and if i don't do that i don't feel like i get my money's worth and that helped that as you know, sure. like a suggestion i, I mean, can hear it's like Matt's a work it's like a gym for work from here <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah go, go ahead george <laughs> <laughs> And 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 Chris Bratt, we're we're hearing a lot of stories of of burnout going around these days. Mm -hmm. And and you say that that you just worked like a solid month and have just now been able <laughs> to finally like sleep afterwards. <laughs> and what I would recommend is is figuring out how to assign a set day for a weekend fairly early on. Yeah. Otherwise, it. it 
and I don't even know if there's a way of fixing like the mentality of it. Your brain constantly being like, no, I should be working right now. But but at least <laughs> there are things you can try to force yourself to do to help. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I've I've started to settle down a little bit now. It was just that I had a completely. I, it wasn't something I was really expecting, I guess, that we launched the... I quit my job and launched the Patreon for People Make Games on the same day, which was weird, because I was even in the office at Eurogamer during that morning and then went home and launched yeah. a new thing. That was bizarre. Um, but then it it went really well, and it was amazing to have to see all the support come through, and, and suddenly it's like, oh my god, people have shown up, this is great. And then that transitions into, oh my god, people have shown up, this is terrifying. And Expectations! There was... Yeah, there was a, a couple of weeks basically from that point where we were working on the first episode, which has now gone live yesterday, which, which feels great. But the, that that two weeks when people had put their support, um, you know, for us, like they, they, we we got the the funding that we needed to make this thing work, and then we're like, oh god, we need to be showing that we're we're doing loads of work, but it's going to take two weeks to actually get this episode into shape before we can put it out there. And those couple of weeks just freaked me out mentally and uh yeah did you like not have anything to show for the first few weeks because you were working on things to show for the first few weeks like we we couldn't make it without patreon that was the whole point of going like leaving my job and and going for a crowdfunding model but yeah that 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 also meant that we we couldn't make it until the patreon was funded and we could work on it full time and uh yeah, we we had like a few updates that could go up along the way, but I feel so much better now that we've put something out and people seem to not hate it, which is really cool. Uh, like the people that have backed what we're doing think it's it's okay. We did a story about the first non-Valve game on Steam, and um, oh yeah, Ragdoll Kung Fu. Yeah, I'm impressed that you, you do that. I didn't actually nope. <laughs> know the name of it until I started working. Well, well the story. I was I was I, I was skimming the video, so it was a little bit of cheating. Skimming, you hear that? <laughs> skimming <I was> gonna... <laughs> again, Matt. <laughs> I watched it. Uh, I watched it in its entirety. I felt, Chris, obviously, I've known your work for a long time and stuff like that. And the stuff you were you started doing when you were back at Eurogamer, the sort of uh, uh, like look into various aspects of how games were made or stories behind some game dev stories is like my total fucking jam. And I've always really appreciated you going down that sort of avenue. Obviously, that kind of stuff takes time, and I imagine like a big publication at Eurogamer, you didn't really get the time to do that. I imagine they were quite supportive, but obviously you had to go this route, and it's really shown <laughs> because the first video is really cool, and the like kind of storybook way you tell the story with the interview uh, with the guy who made it, like intersected in, is really cool, man. So already you're off to like a super good start. Yeah, I've been working with the. A- animator and um design like whiz who has been able to do all that stuff which has been really cool Uh, i should take no credit for how nice it looked (laughs) i just just wrote some words and said them into a camera yeah it's it's really liberating being able to do weird topics you want have like cute animations that wouldn't be you know like professional or straight laced enough in a traditional outlet but i i specifically wanted to ask about how different the time management is because that's uh, the topic that I think is so interesting for like me specifically right now. <laughs> I, I have issues with it. Uh, there's all of these stories being published right now about creators facing burnout. So I feel like it's something that, that the industry could learn as well. And, and as someone who... Well, did you work full-time at Eurogamer? Or were you kind of a like remote work part-time thing? 
Yeah, I was I was full time there for uh, three how years. How different is that? Like like how how regimented did they have your schedule? Um, it was it was fairly regimented towards the end. We we had a so I worked on the video team specifically, and we had a uh, a fairly sort of um, tight schedule that we did each week. Uh, that that meant that you sort of knew what you were getting into from the from the Monday onwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the thing with the the series that I did around that, which was here's a thing. Uh, which has now become sort of the the precursor to what is now People Make Games. That was the thing that I tried to fit around the rest of the schedule that I had at work. So basically, I don't think I've had um, normal time management for quite a while now. Um, something I'm trying to, to figure out now that I can concentrate on this one project full time. I mean, looking at the, the kind of scope of the stories you work on, there's some similarity there in terms of how much research and prep goes into it before you even start scripting or presenting or anything like that so i mean you have i imagine uh a little more experience with this than myself at this stage being able to focus on on one big video sort of every few weeks um yeah so i'm i'm more than willing to to take your advice and just copy it and steal it please Well, uh, I'll, I'll 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 fill you in on the the, the toolman argument worksheets after right. after the podcast. Nice, but 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 for more like entertaining topics for uh, listeners to hear, I uh, suppose we could share our opinions about the the current video vi- video games, uh, <laughs> the the barely interactive picture contests that uh that that make up so much of our world, indeed, that define our entire identities. Right, right. <laughs> So what have we been playing lately? <laughs> I thought someone was going to go first. Yeah, I thought you were going to jump right in. I think right we all had a moment, moment of existential dread there. Uh, uh, why, why, why don't we do Chris, actually? Because, Chris, you got something on the docket here that I think I'm going to, like, yell with you about. Yeah. Okay. I, okay, so I've um, mostly... I, so as I sort of explained before, I've had quite a sort of anxiety-inducing few weeks, and I've needed just... A chill game to just sort of fall into, like a like some, a bath of like warm marshmallows. Competitive loop. Yeah, and Stardew Valley on the Switch is just amazing for that. Oh, it's the, I know, the right? Oh. Dude, that it, was the first game that got me sucked in on the Switch. Yeah, I think it's Before the Mario. Yeah, I, I've I've already spent more time with this than than Odyssey. Uh, it's it's crazy how how perfectly it suits that. That platform. I think, however, um, it took me a little while to realize that I was actually playing it in a really dumb way to begin with. Um, <laughs> so the the whole like setup for Stardew Valley is that you play this character that has inherited a farm, and you'd had some sort of dull, mind-numbing job in the city, and this was your big escape to go out into the countryside and like and plant parsnips. A... Yeah, go and have from a dog. dull, mind-numbing in an office to. But but with all due respect, like the the loop that they came up with works really yeah. well somehow. Yeah, except I think to begin with, what I ended up doing was trying to sort of uh, treat it like I do certain other video games. I I gamified it and wanted to have a farm that made loads of money really quickly, so that I could buy all the upgrades and and get better things and get better equipment and and a bigger chicken coop and then I realized oh god I'm playing it like it's an MMO or something and uh, yeah I'd gone from this like what had been I imagine a mind-numbing office job where you're just doing the same thing every day to earn money to like basically treating 
my farm in Stardew Valley like that for at least like, I think basically the entirety of the first season I was just trying to earn money and just wasn't enjoying the game as much as I could have been now that I've chilled out and I care much more about my farm looting, looking like attractive and that my chickens are happy and that they've all got individual names and I care about them than I do about like earning the most money in this season because the the way that the uh, growing crops work in that game is that certain seeds you know will last for the entirety of autumn um, or maybe they'll even last two seasons and, and so like the most efficient way to plant them is to plant them at the start of the first season and then get as much out of them before they they die at the end of it and if you think about the game like that too much you completely suck the joy out of it you just spend all your time in the mines or just or like uh basically with a spreadsheet in your mind about the perfect way to plant crops and that's boring and it's way more fun to like how can i make my farm look really nice because i've got all this wood and i should make some like fencing over here that doesn't really provide any gameplay advantage but will make me feel good when i wake up in the morning (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. Snap into its place. I, I, it, I played that game uh, way back, and I don't know if that's for me. Just like, just, mm-hmm. I, I have to know. Okay, am I doing this right? Am I wasting yeah. time? Because I remember the first time that winter came, immediately all my crops that I planted, and they needed like one more day left. all of them died and it killed me my spirit was gone i was just like okay i'm done done." yeah and then no one would dance with me at the party so i was just (laughs) like i'm definitely done (laughs) yeah that is an unwelcoming village to join like you have to seriously ply people with gifts before they even think about giving like a little dance at the the summer fair to be fair you were working at a giant corporation you're like the big wig who's coming to the yeah. town and is now like taking over the farm and is like going into the mines and taking all the minerals and materials like oh my god you're right I, yeah i don't own that mine that mine isn't mine no exactly you're just like you rocked <laughs> up at this farm one day after working at like your big fancy office job and you just inherited a farm you didn't even pay for it you just inherited this farm you turn up oh, and you go that... in the caves and you steal everyone's minerals and shit and then you go into their houses you're just like walking around in their houses <laughs> You're trying to give them presents and force yourself upon them. I mean, what do you expect? God, that suddenly makes a lot of sense. Oh, no. Do you, I'm the do you bad think man. everyone in Stardew Valley acts so, like, cutesy and polite just because they're being really patronizing to your character? <laughs> like, like, do they just really hate your guts well, for, for moving into town? Soon. Yeah. I mean, your farm is bigger than everyone else's. <laughs> like, you're taking oh up way God. much more space than them, and and you're you, you're not even like you you just got there. You're an out of towner. You're you're this strange outsider who shows up, shows everyone else how to do their job right, <laughs> and and they're just like, oh, it's it's so nice to see you. <laughs> so how long are you gonna be sticking around here today? When are you going? When are you leaving? Oh no, I've been winning like every single village competition they've had like the easter egg hunt or the oh, bit where you, you put all your bastard. best vegetables on a table like you're oh. not letting them in <laughs> no you're and right those are their competitions <laughs> yeah oh okay you know what i changed my mind on stardew valley it's it's not helping my anxiety at all <laughs> <laughs> oh god man i'm real good at that so so what else so what else we got speaking of something similar to stardew valley that i i I'm only like two hours in, and I've only just started playing it. But I started playing a game called Moonlighter. 
What? Not Starlighter? Uh, no, Moonlighter. So it's this brand new game that uh, just kind of, I don't know if it appeared out of nowhere, but I hadn't heard about it. But I think it's by like a Spanish developer. And it's just sort of turned up and then it's got kind of rave reviews. I think RPG site gave it like a 9 out of 10 and stuff like that. Um, I was lucky enough to get given a code by the PR company. And I was like, oh, I'll check it out. The pixel art looks really nice and stuff like that. And it turns out it's this game where it's set in this village that is kind of dilapidated, similar to the farm in, you know, Stardew Valley, and you inherit this shop that was your grandfather's. And you have to, it's your task, it's your, as the NPC puts it, your destiny and your responsibility to make this shop and, and village thrive again. So the way you get items to sell in your store is to then go into these dungeons and kill enemies and harvest material and it's like randomly generated dungeons that you then traverse through and you can get to bosses and stuff like that but it's pretty difficult so the idea is that you try and get as many minerals as you can and and when you have enough you can warp out of the dungeon at any time or you can choose to keep pushing a little further risking losing all of the cool shit that you just got that you can sell for you know, quite high prices in your store. So the idea is that you go into these dungeons at night, you, you the it's a little difficult at night, but you get better material, and then you return in the morning, uh, and then you place all your items on your storefront, and then you set the prices, and then the NPCs of the village come into the into your store, and they buy them. But the problem is, like, you have to set the prices yourself, and uh, the NPCs respond with various, like, Emotion, uh, like emoji faces as to whether or not it's like a high price or if it's like a really good price but the game never tells you it, like it, from the outset it's like got this weird tutorial where basically it doesn't explain anything um, and it's just like here sell this like this plant and it's like 200 coins and you're like is the plant rare? Is it good? Or, or whatever. It just says 200 coins. And then the guy comes in and he's like, this is too high. And then you raise, you lower it down to like 150 and he's like, perfect. And then I went into the dungeon and I got like golem cores, like these really rare things I thought were great. So I was like, fuck, these must be great if that plant sold for like 150 coins. Put them <laughs> for like 600. The guy comes in the store again and he's disgusted. He's like outraged at my prices. And I'm like, what the hell? So I lower it down and I keep lowering it down and I keep lowering it down and I, I eventually lower it to about 50 and then he buys it. So these golem cores <laughs> that I'd risked my life for were worth 100 coins less than the flower I'd sold in the tutorial at the start of the game, which sucked. And the game, for as fun as the dungeons are, and like the cool sort of selling your items in your own store thing is, um, you have to like, for every single item, like you have like really common like iron that you can sell, but you don't know whether to sell it for like 50 coins or like one coin. Eventually, after you've sold it, like, once for a good price, you can then experiment. But you have to, like, from the outset, experiment with every different type of item. The game never, like, gives you a roundabout figure. So you're there, like, oh, do, is this thing rare? Do I sell it for, like, 600 coins or do I sell it for, like, one coin? Am I selling, like, this really ancient artifact that is super rare for, like, 50 coins and I could have made, like, a 1,000? So it's really confusing in the beginning what to sell your 
artifacts and like mineral spore. But then once you sort of get the hang of it, like it's really cool to then go in the dungeon looking for specific items, taking them back to the store, and almost like bartering with the with the customers who come in the store because you can you can change the prices on the fly to see how they re they react. It's really interesting and. Um, I'm enjoying it so far, apart from the really obscure nature of the tutorial that doesn't really explain anything whatsoever. You just die and die and fail at selling shit. And then once you sort of get the hang of it a bit, it becomes a lot more fun and kind of reminds me of like the way Stardew Valley works uh, in the sense that, you know, you go into the caves and, um, you know, get materials and stuff like that. I don't know if you ever played an old PC Steam game called Reseteer. Yep, that that was giving me records. I I've it's, always it's, said racketeer or racketeer. I think it's racketeer. I think it is. It, it's like on the outset, it, you you could easily pass it over as some weird weeb shit that no one would be interested in. Um, but it, it's it must be like ten years old now. But the idea of that game is to have a store and then go to dungeons and defeat monsters to get materials to then sell in your store. It's like exactly the same as Moonlighter, but Moonlighter presents uh, the stuff and allows you a little more customization uh, than Restatir did. And the whole idea is that you're then rebuilding this village that is on the like front to these dungeons and you know you you build up your shop and all that kind of stuff. So far it's uh it's really it's pretty good once you get past the, the tutorial stuff. I, I would recommend it. But it's not on Switch, um, which sucks. Well, is it not? No. Ask that no. stupid question. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is like the perfect bloody game to put on the Switch, and it's not. It's only on PlayStation well, 4. Well, yeah, PC. so is every like game. But it's weird yes, because like, like I've been in this, <laughs> I've been in this like phase really at the moment where I'm just buying cheap, like ten to fifteen dollar games on the Switch, and it's been great. Like, you know, I played Bloodstained, I played Mega Man, I bought, uh, like, an arcade sports game called Super Sport Matching, which was pretty cool. And also, I bought... Oh, yeah. I bought Ikaruga. I, I bought Ikaruga as well. I bought the Ikaruga remake, and I've been... Not remake, like, re-release, I think. I don't think it's remastered in any way. Um, but I've been playing through Treasures, like, you know, number one shooter, and just the Switch is so good. It's so damn good for playing games and getting cheap stuff that I'm actually kind of disappointed. I can't play Moonlighter on the Switch at the moment, so... But I do recommend it if you're looking for a pretty cheap game on PS4. Uh, especially if you uh, your Stardew Valley-esque fix. Speaking, yeah, I, I was I was about to say that I was never able to get into Stardew Valley on PC. For some reason, the, the repetition of a compelling loop doesn't really hook into me unless I can, uh, I, I suppose, put the game down and read the news on my phone in, in the middle of the loop. I, I know, it's <laughs> like sitting... At, like, even I, just I sitting at my TV playing the Switch still feels less arduous than turning my PlayStation 4 on and playing a game. <laughs> wow. I, I know, it got it's you. weird. You just, you, know, <laughs> you just press the power button at the top, it immediately turns your TV on, and, like, you're in the game, whereas the PlayStation 4, yeah, so, like, if it's my PlayStation 4 anyway, with the with the hard drive dying, it takes 15 minutes to, for it to crash and boot up and crash and then boot up again, and then I have to wait to sign in, and then I'm in the game. Whereas with the Switch, it's just like, you know, press one button, and I can play. 
I think the Switch tricks you really well because it, it makes you think you can just spend 10 to 15 minutes for the game and sometimes you will do that. Like sometimes you'll just play Stardew or Moonlighter or Puyo Puyo Tetris, goddammit. <laughs> and you'll you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to dip in for 10 minutes here whilst like, yep. I wait for the kettle to boil. That's a really long kettle i don't whatever but then you you end up like you're in like two hours yeah later and you've still been playing yeah but there's something about that initial step to actually just grab that console rather than like go like log it doesn't seem like that. On pc it's like yesterday i i got home pretty late and i was like oh you know i downloaded ikaruga but i haven't had a chance to play it you know i'll play it for like half an hour before like going to bed or something i ended up playing it for three hours i was like what the fuck just happened where did the time go <laughs> I'm just like sat here playing this really hard shoot 'em up that I keep dying in constantly, but because it's on the Switch, it just it just feels like I'm playing a really casual experience, like I'm having just a fun time of it. And I don't know, there's something pretty magical about that. Um, you know, compared to playing Moonlighter, where I had to stop playing to come on the podcast today, and it's like I had to put the PlayStation 4 in rest mode, and then it crashed, so I had to reboot it. <laughs> it's just like, you're kind of turning me off here, PlayStation 4. Like, I know you've got God of War and shit, but, you know, the Switch has Bloodstained, and I can play it within two minutes, so I don't know. But it's good. Oh my god, Sony so... Santa Monica, just someone from there is just crying right now. They don't know why. <laughs> But they just Why didn't we make a God of War Switch version? <laughs> but I yeah, it's good. did something earlier last week that was the exact opposite of all of the previously described experiences. Uh, I I went through a lot of setup and uh, a little bit of hardship, a lot of waiting and downloading to set up and stream a way out. Uh, with with my friendo Colin on Twitch, and I don't know you guys. It's, I it's, don't know. Is that a brother of two two sons, brothers tale. I the brother of two sons. <laughs> I swear I mix up that name every single time. Brother, wouldn't there be three sons then? It's it's like a co-op uh, David Cage Telltale style game. You and a friend do QTEs and watch a uh, interactive narrative experience together. And the thing that that has me so doubting is that I don't know if this is a game design that really makes full use of uh, cooperative gameplay, like the way Brothers Brothers, <laughs> like the way Brothers did, or um, like a uh, Twin Cop that Matt and I were playing recently that won the Georgia Game Developers Award. At not the Georgia Game Developers Award, but the Georgia Award at the Momocon uh, Indie the Game Georgia Showcase. Awards. It's like, 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 like Twin Cop is a game that has you controlling two halves of the same character with different controllers. And Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, was a game that had you controlling two characters with one controller. A Way Out is a game that has you and your two, you, you and your partner, David Cage, your way through with your own controllers and your own screens and your own world. And, and a lot of the QTE puzzles that you solve together are built for cooperative play, like you'll have to hold things for the other character to stand on, but it doesn't feel like anything that could have been replaced by an AI partner, or, uh, or, or just like being able to switch between the two uh, should you need to, and I guess having a more inventive, innovative spin on David Cage stuff is what I was looking forward to seeing with this one, with how much uh, praise both this game and the previous one got for 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 doing that sort of uh, styling, but maybe I'll see. I, I did about two and a half hours of it 
on uh, last uh, Friday night, and I d it was fine. I'm invested in it. It just seems like a like like a very easy concept to pull off. As uh, as patronizing and horrible as that me might might be to say, because it's also a game that apparently faced a lot of a developmental struggle and had to uh, really have people fighting for it behind the scenes to come out. But when actually playing it, there's like a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting, a lot of a lot of very very easy, very very obvious puzzle solutions that just feel like going through the motions of pressing the controller button prompts as they slide into the the game world from from the ether. Yeah, it never really. Um, I've I played for it um, myself. It never really gets past that. I think the, there are a couple of things about the design of it I really liked, which is the the way it treats um, split screen is really uh, innovative, and the the way, like sometimes your screens will merge in really interesting ways, or sometimes it will ask one co-op partner to do like a you're like in a chase scene and the camera will focus on just one of you whilst you uh you run through an area and do the very basic qt commands but your you know your co-partner is watching you do it and it adds a bit of drama to the whole thing it switches over to the other person and they do that i really liked that but yeah the 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 actual the gameplay underneath that is pretty simplistic i think um part of the problem was perhaps that there's a design philosophy throughout the game, which is they never really want to repeat the same kind of gameplay mechanic twice. So if they do oh like a driving section, they God. only do it once. And um, that is a lot of work. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. it and it's impressive in a way because they do like they almost achieve that, but the result of that they basically end up doing a lot of a lot of things, um, like in a pretty okay fashion, rather than anything really really well. Joseph yeah, Farris yeah, cause... does seem a bit like a baby David Cage, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean... I love him. I love him after that uh, the Game Awards um, <laughs> like sort of tantrum. It's, it does feel like it. something David Cage would do in his younger years. God, I, yeah. Yeah, maybe, but like at least, at least the writing isn't that bad. <laughs> Like it's 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 competently written by people who you can tell had had uh, native English speakers on staff uh, filtering every everything through. It doesn't get embarrassingly page. There's no conventionally attractive android woman who says, "Remember, <laughs> this isn't a game. This is our future." <laughs> and I like 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 I said, I'm invested in it. I still don't want to like rag on it too hard until like like you were saying it might pick up later on. But but so far it hasn't been like offensive. It hasn't been bad. It's just been kind of like yeah okay this is neat. I think that's what you'll have for the rest of the game. It. I don't think long, it gets it? much past that. No, it's like five six hours maybe something like that. Four or five hours. Yeah, we're 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 thinking it's going to be like a two more sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of things in in that game that you might like, particularly the stuff with the split screen. You might go, oh man, I want to see that in a in another game that has something else to it but yeah, yeah. i don't think you're mm. you're going to change your mind drastically i'm sorry <laughs> well oh well i mean it's still it's still something to do i guess like wow. it's nice that i didn't <laughs> that's have the box to buy it. Wow. there's your advice for now running your own patreon <laughs> something to do it's something, something to, to do, do. Just it's take nice that i didn't have to buy it play <laughs> shitty games you don't like <laughs> Well, but it's not shitty. It's just, it's 
it's just entertaining. <laughs> it's keeping me from going insane. <laughs> you know what? I can relate to that. Like, I, I kind of feel the same way about Dauntless. I thought you were going to say Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> <laughs> no, Final Fantasy XV made me insane. Um, Dauntless, like, I feel it's... I want to play uh, Monster Hunter. This is uh, the Monster World. Hunter clone thing, right? I, yes. It, well, a clone? Okay. Well, it's definitely not a clone because... Damn, they they might have messed up if if it was a clone because it's basically a boss game where you just fight the monsters, right? And it's so like not Monster like Hunter. Monster Hunter where you can kind of play solo. It you can play solo if you want, but most of the time you're going to be with three other people, and the matchmaking has been working fine. I mean, it's open beta, so I mean, people are here. Um, but it kind of lacks that, um, you know, Monster, Monster Hunter's not perfect. Monster Hunter has that Japanese jank, right? It, yeah, there's too many menus, spreadsheets yeah. everywhere, dialogue doesn't matter. <laughs> what Dauntless does is make everything super simple, but to the point that it seeps into the gameplay a little bit. You get like, uh, you know, just I think about like five, five weapons, and they're all pretty basic it's not one of those like simple but you know advanced if you know how to use it some of the weapons sure a little bit but not quite as monster hunter um even i've only played the 3ds games i'm pretty sure the world has gone from the gameplay i've seen of world it's the kind of the same way but more for you having like dip like almostly um almost infinite combos i guess <laughs> mm-hmm um, in this game, there's a lot of like, there's finishers and some of them are not viable. So you can't like really switch them up. Um, depending on the situations, you're, it gets repetitive. The same combos over and over and over and over again. Or you do this to this, this to this, you know, one, two, one, two, you know, it's just a light and a strong attack. That's it. You know, there's no switching between different two modes of your weapons or anything like that, like uh, Monster Hunter is, or jumping off clips to do like a spinning move with your dual uh, blades, or or there's none of that stuff, you know? It's just, you're going to fight a monster. And the monsters are cool and fun. Um, you know, you can remove tails and armor and, and take their ingredients and use it to form weapons. Um, very simple, like you, you can tell like, you know, you hit the stomach and you, the stomach falls off into a little green orb and you pick it up off the floor and then you go back to the town and you talk to the weaponsmith or the, or the armorsmith to make a breastplate or whatever uh, with that thing you got off the ground. That, that's, that's kind of the game. You fight monsters, Sounds you come like back. like Monster Hunter. Yeah, well, the thing is Monster Hunter has a little bit more flair when it comes down to the gameplay. I was going to say, because Dauntless was kind of praised for its animation when it was first, like, you know, shown. And obviously, Monster Hunter is, like, the king of wicked animal-based animations. Does it live up to yeah. the sort of, like, aesthetically pleasing and promising things it had when it first announced? For, for any game 
when I load it up, if the character creation is complete garbage, I hate, <laughs> I hate it. And it's complete garbage. I made, oh, no. I made, like, I tried to make a, a woman and she came out, look like she, she didn't eat in like five months. You know, it's just bones. It was just bones. And I was, I, I did not like that. I, I have to have a good looking character. I mean, right mm -hmm. now I'm just, I just have to hide her face under like, you know, like masks and stuff like that. And it's the same thing for the guys. The guys are ugly too. Like they're, they're, the characters that, are just that, ugly. Remember that anime I watched called Gamers? <laughs> About the cute girls in Japan who liked to play video games and, and make boys nervous. Oh God. Okay. There was there was a line where where one of the characters just flatly looks at the camera, and and says in perfectly passive aggressive sarcastic subtitles, "I don't like to play foreign games because they don't make the girls as cute." <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So are we saying that's Matt in this? Uh, that's that sounds like dauntless in an anime subtitle <laughs> wait wait a minute wait a minute there's there's lots of other games that were made over here that know how to do character creation quite well i mean it's it's not black desert okay nothing can be black, <laughs> wait, black <laughs> desert okay but i'm i need to subtitle matt in into this episode of gamers i'm gonna look it up gamers youtube episode two go, go on go on did go a good on. job Gears of War 2 did a good job. And so did some other ones did a good job of uh, actually creating characters that didn't look like garbage. Like, um, we never got to talk about, uh, what says this? The Sea of Whatever by Rare. What was sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves. Those, those guys look like crap. Like, God, <laughs> oh my gosh. Why? Why would they make it so ugly? Anyways. The animations, what you were talking about, Liam. The animations do look good. It's just not as good as Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter, it feels like a, it feels like you're you're attacking an actual animal. Yeah, where, gotta remember though, like you know, Monster Hunter is developed by a fucking huge AAA. Yes, juggernaut. I understand. I understand. It's it's just that when a game is, it's it's like once you've tasted something that's better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're looking you can't at this go like, oh, back this to RC Cola. <laughs> this will hold me over until Monster you Hunter World comes out for PC. Monster Hunter. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, um, Isn't it free to play as well? <laughs> yep, it's Don't free just, to play. So what's the what's the catch? Talk to me about about those transactions. Transactions. Okay. Um, so far, what I can see is that you change like you, you can set up flares. Um, when you find a monster it, so it's an instance area it's not like an open world it's just like an, an instance um group of islands that you can kind of jump around to and when you find a monster because uh, they do run away sometimes and you have to go look for them you can send out flares um to the other players around to come and you can fight with you know the monster together um <laughs> you could change like the the flare colors of that you can uh, get colors and dyes for your armor pieces to make yourself look different. Because um, there's, there's quite a few armor pieces, but you know, I'm pretty. Maybe sure that's why the characters look so bad, because you might be a little bit more tempted to drop some some money on a, a nice armor die to cover up your face. Yeah, yeah. It, 
and, and so far so far i haven't seen much else there, there's some other like cosmetic pieces i haven't seen any game breaking stuff like i'm unsure if you can buy potions um in the store because potions... i do remember speaking to them uh, when the game was like before the beta was released and they did say back then that they had no intention of doing anything outside of cosmetics i believe mm-hmm. i don't know if that's changed since then yeah, I haven't seen anything but cosmetics in the store, but I haven't dived in too deeply. Um, so, so far, it's doing okay. It does have loot boxes, though, for cosmetics. So you uh, can open up Slayer Cores and get... Slayer like, uh, Cores! <laughs> That's amazing. Slayer Cores! Slayer cores. Dude, have Slayer you not cores. purchased all the Slayer Cores? Is that worth more or less than a Golem Core? In Moonlight 3. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more. I don't know, Slayer man. I managed core. to sell some for 100 coins. <laughs> uh, let me see. Dauntless Slayer Cores. Yeah, so Slayer Cores gives you infusions where you can put inside your armor and your your weapons, basically. And that's... Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I guess that's okay. It's It's not... It's not a thing. If they put that on the store, it might be... I wonder bonus. what happens to games like these when the real thing comes out. Mm. Whether they have to suddenly... Isn't open up. beta going to go straight into the to the regular game, though? Isn't that closed beta that they wipe the characters? Oh, no, no. I mean, I mean, in comparison to Monster Hunter. Like, when Monster Hunter World on PC drops, I wonder, will the Dauntless player base either dry up or get a boost from the publicity? Depends on what they update the game with, I think. Hmm. If they if the I, game does not get updated with better stuff, then I think it will be done. So for. maybe if uh, whatever like shaky Japanese port company, if if <laughs> if they get NT creates on it and they don't do a good job, you think Dauntless might still have a, a future for itself? Yeah, I mean it's free to play. I mean. Um... Which is why I think it might get boosted, actually, from kids who, you know, like, want Monster Hunter but can't afford it. Yeah. It's going to find its place as long as they don't mess it up, I, I think. I've that, mostly that just seen positive hopeful. stuff. Because it's not bad. It's it, not a bad game. It, it's, it's still a hard sell for me, though, because when I look at this and then look at Monster Hunter, it's like, ooh. Ooh, yeah. This, it pretty much looks like an RC Cola version of of something else and i've been i guess i've been a kind of negative but like i i played like a significant amount of time in this game like i spent some time because it's it's fun in a way you know it, the matches are extremely quick okay oh I, that's not monster hunter okay like you go in you say you want to fight this monster you're loaded into a map within at least uh two minutes and that's with pressing i want to go hunt for this monster getting a a party of four and then launching from there into a game like usually around two minutes you're already into a game and you're ready to go like that whole process which is actually it's not too bad that's not too bad that's pretty damn Um, good so that's that's a hell of a lot faster than monster hunter goes so yeah maybe 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 when it's in your hands it does feel a little different and i'm looking at the store here just to see yeah they do they sell potions Okay, so they, uh. they, they do sell potions, um, which can give you, like, stamina boosts and stuff like that. And um, 
uh, extra damage for a few seconds or or a minute. Um, so that's in here. There, of course, there's a bunch of die stuff. There's emotes, and you can buy platinum. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I don't see the Slayer cores in here, but yeah. That, that's what you can buy there. I just love that we're at the stage of the loot box market that like you can't just have you can't call it a loot box anymore. You have to have it drop on like the Normandy beach or it has to be called Slayer Core. <laughs> yeah. Just like I'm I'm not wild about a lot of the the stuff around around loot boxes, but I'm I'm enjoying that name. <laughs> Slayer cores. Yeah, and, you know they you open them just like Hearthstone pie. Hearthstone packs, like where they pop up, and then you could click individual ones, to see what's under them. <laughs> They're totally nice. going for it. They're totally going for it. Um, I'm pretty sure that would be inside the cash office. There's got to be some cash kind office. of like fancy academic term for how uh, how how much how much more value a product can get if you give it a cool ass name like Slayer Core. <laughs> Get five Slayer cores. Play this weekend. That sounds like a genre. It sounds of, like an unreal weapon. Like an unreal tournament it's, weapon. It sounds like it describes me during my like high school to middle school years, the transition between the two. <laughs> I, I'm going through I'm going through my Slayer core phase, okay mom? I'm just yeah. going through my Slayer core phase. Oh my god. George, have you done Christ. anything other than play a way out? I heard you I heard uh, you hated Pillars too. Yeah, yeah, I I gave it a lot more. I put a review on it. It's really not that bad after I got used to it. After I got to a point where, you know, I could like throw away the notepad I was keeping next to my keyboard, I really got into the the groove of it. It just has so much to teach you. And, and what it teaches you are, like, uh, text-based, dice-roll-based, uh, board-gamified versions of pirate stuff. Uh, a lot of which is, is timer-based uh, decaying management. There's a food supply you have to keep track of. There's, there's, like, customizable sails and colors and flags. You have a crew that you have to recruit and populate your ship up with. And, and eventually... Once once you have all these menus and spreadsheets filled out, it's smooth sailing. But my god, it takes this game forever to teach you uh, all of the, the fairly simple things there are to learn. Because there is a lot. It's like not enough to have really, really complicated um, turn-based tabletop-inspired combat. They, they have this management metagame kind of built on top of it. And in the previous game, it was this... Um, kind of backer feature that was shoehorned in it was an optional base you got to manage a little fortress that's on one side of the map as you go adventuring on the other side of the map you're you're taking supplies home and bringing supplies back and going all the way back over to check on it and it was cumbersome having a pirate ship that you uh pilot around the game world makes a lot more sense it feels like it was a lot more cohesively designed the downside to it all is just like I mentioned last time, like the writing is just not there this time. Uh, just like in the usual Obsidian style RPGs, the main quest is um, some very awkwardly paced, uh, kind of like guffy, simple world saving narrative. The the stakes are a little a little abstract, a little brainy, but the side quests are the more interesting things where you have interesting faction play of different perspectives, different cultural perspectives on that main quest you're trying to solve at the same time. But both just do not 
hit me quite like the previous game, if not the uh, like ideal qualities of what you would want out of an Obsidian game should be hitting you at. I after I put my review out, I read some others, and I was I was shocked actually with how much I agreed with the Rock Paper Shotgun review, even though it was pretty negative. The review in progress they have up right now, and uh, considering the really good twists that do happen in the game's third act, I'm wondering if their opinion's going to change. But the opinion I was gleaning from this article was that it is a competently made game that is totally fine, that just has a really hard time thinking up of an explanation for why you should care about anything going on in the story. And that's the same... Uh, Ouch. The, 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 the same thing that was hitting me with uh, a lot of my experience. But it's, it, it's weird seeing a game get so much right when when it's not even that the writing itself is bad it's like the the plot surrounding it there's stakes in the plot that aren't connected with the stakes of your main character like like in the beginning of the game you 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 get killed by by a god who possessed a giant statue and went on a rampage across town but then some other gods bring you back because you're the chosen one watcher the the god when it possessed the statue and and rampaged across town causing trouble it stole a part of your soul so everyone in the game is like hey character don't you want to go get a part of your soul back and i'm sitting there at my keyboard being like wait no i'm all here i'm good and, and trying to understand the abstract terms like that, the game's lore really wants to immerse you in on its own terms when they conflict so much with uh, what the character is going to be feeling compared to what the player is going to be feeling, doesn't exactly work. And, and what, I, what I look for in really complicated Western RPGs like this is to feel lost in a way that makes sense. And I got that from like Morrowind as a kid and I'm watching it again when I'm watching my girlfriend play through Morrowind nowadays and I also got this from like Baldur's Gate and Pillars of Eternity 1 to an extent but feeling lost at how dense and fully fleshed out a fantasy world is is a very different experience from feeling just kind of like patronized and confused by how dense and confusing an RPG world can be and it's that's weird because what... you said something in your video that made me kind of do a double take considering we recorded an episode recently where we talked about Morrowind and the whole finding your way via signpost things like what i can't remember correctly what you said but you did say i wish there was more maps and i didn't really understand what you meant by that considering you were not, I, like a week bef prior like praising morrowind for giving you a sense of adventure by having to read signposts and wishing things were yeah like you have to days. read signposts and 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 cross-reference it against a map like what i what i meant in the video was like a world map a a political map explaining where the countries of of the fake fantasy pretend lands are so that you can understand what people are saying i don't want i still like I, if i'm gonna get lost in a complicated western rpg i don't want quest markers that's different and and there's a really good article that felipe pepe who wrote a book on this stuff wrote on gamma sutra once about quest markers and navigational immersion the, the like like the thing that i like is is getting lost and having to ask for directions what 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 i don't like so much is is getting lost having to ask for directions and not even really being able to decipher what the guy's telling me or at least getting like <laughs> contextual references to stuff that i don't fully understand that don't seem to to 
evoke the illusion of getting lost in an actual place that actually might exist somewhere in, in a conceivable fantasy world. I don't know. Maybe I'm moving the goalposts here. Is this still reading comprehension in the game? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, okay. which I like. I'm good. <laughs> uh, but if you want to than the life. first one, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> if I want to come if home you, from work and listen if, to a if, game, I don't want to hear oh yeah, like gibberish in my brain. I don't want to hear it. No, there's there's a lot of gibberish. But but I mean, I don't if you if you ever want to like read gibberish that makes you feel like you're fully immersed in in a swashbuckling pirate fantasy it gets the job done yeah see that sounds real good like that the that is the side of the game that i find really appealing i didn't yeah um i know pillars is, is supposed to be great I, I sort of bounced off it a little bit but the the pirate take on it and but by the looks of it they sort of they sort of like reset the world basically to fit this pirate game and like Almost. the naval side of it into it it's that, very strange yeah that actual that core idea it seems really appealing. The stuff you were saying before about like organizing your spreadsheets and picking the crew and the color of your sails and like, how much food you've got for your voyage sounded great. I want that. It's <laughs> just that, the that's the game I actually want to play. Oh my it's god, just what is wrong with you guys? The is what got me. <laughs> no, but that's that's the good stuff though. Like I feel like what people aren't gonna like is the reading comprehension. I feel like they're gonna be there with Matt because like it's not good this. Well, it's not good. It's less good this time. <laughs> I was fine with uh, Pillars 1. I just don't want it thicker than that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I could understand my, my grandpa just fine, you know, when he's speaking that possible. <laughs> like, but when he's, like, around his, you know, his family, he gets deep in there. That, that That's Pillars 2 right there. That's Pillars 2 level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't want that. Like, the accents are, are thick. Yeah, no. And, and I mean... I just like don't mind it so much if the character spouting the accent is like fun and and funny and they have stuff important to say to my character that I can at least understand. It's more like the accent is just there t for for flavor, like like uh, fun lore to read turned into boring flavor text to read. Uh, but <laughs> what really confuses me is that on top of being a sequel to a game that was already like really complicated for a small niche fan base. This is a game that's probably slightly less quality compared to the first one, but it's still for people who are very much invested in the first one, but it takes this radical departure towards a pirate setting and it does the pirate setting maybe better than the like high fantasy Tolkien setting that it's also juggling at the same time. And that makes me wonder who it's really for. Like if someone on Steam is buying a pirate game, which there aren't many good ones, this is like, I'm, I'm assuming one of the few of a small handful and they want to want to be a pirate. They're going to deal with a lot of, uh, of, of pseudo intellectual Tolkien, but with all the names changed, uh, metaphysical reading comprehension bullshit to get to that point, like seven to eight hours in the game where you're finally uh, sailing the high seas with your fully equipped, fully built pirate ship. I'm already falling asleep. Uh, no, 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 no. I think it sounds great. Like, I don't get why there aren't more games like that to pick from on Steam right now. Because, like, being a pirate is one of those cool yeah. fantasies, right? It's like uh, wizard. I remember how did that happen? Soldier. You know? I remember pirate. there was a distinct lack of pirate aesthetic that I remember being so excited by that pirate RPG. I can't remember what it was called. It might literally have just been called Pirates. 
I can't remember what it's called. Sea of Thieves. Oh, yep, yep. Pirate. No, 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 no. Myers Pirates is it? just called Pirates. <laughs> Pirates Pirates 2 or something. Pirates like, of the Caribbean. Uh, no, there was, uh, there was not a pirate RPG that came out on Steam like a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, I think I know. Because there's been a few. What was it called? What was it damn called? It was um, one of those like under discovery. But it was so janky and disappointing. It was a Euro janky pirate themed yeah, RPG. Yeah, I remember that. Assassin's Creed Black Flag. That was alright. There's there's Black Flag. Risen, there's Sid Meier's Risen Pirates. Two, Dark Waters. <laughs> the Sea of Monkey. Oh, Island. Risen. Oh, you mean Risen? Yeah, Risen. Yeah, that's yeah, it. I think it was Risen. Two. I was I was having the same. Yeah, Risen Two for the PlayStation Three, and uh, it was just a janky piece of shit, and really disappointed me because it was like the only pirate aesthetically based thing that was out. Aw. Aw. Well. Well, I. I actually briefly wanted to ask you guys, like, how weird it is that that pirates are such a, uh, like, like kid-friendly, romantic, rollicking fantasy when, 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 by definition, pirates are huge pieces of shit. Because <laughs> of history. I think Pirates of the Caribbean has a huge amount to do with that. Yeah, yeah I think so. It too. has romanticized the, the the for this generation, I think. To be fair, the there's a lot of, of it, like a pirate Peter Pan. With a you know, Peter Pan was kind of romanticized pirates as. as comedic villains um you know pirates caribbean when doing research for pillars of eternity 2 i i learned about a pirate lady named annie bonnie and uh annie bonnie is a woman who uh would would have had everything set out for her to grow up upper middle class in the the like late 1600s early early 1700s uh but she was a huge piece of shit she uh, decided, well, it's rumored that she set her family's estate on fire, mm. uh, that she stabbed one of the uh, assistant girls at the, the age of 14 with a knife. Nice. Uh, she, she then married some, like, low-life pirate scallywag from the local tavern who her dad didn't like, uh, left, left the farm, burned everything down, mm. uh, left this low-life pirate guy for, for a big-life pirate guy named... Captain Jack Rackham, nice. and like I just want to like Rackham. mention to you guys. I guess Isn't I guess she went down to the local arcade and like picked her favorite character in Mortal Kombat, and Isn't was like, she a character? You won, Jack Rackham. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure she is a character in Black Flag. Hell yeah! With a name like that, he better be. She Fuck Jack Rackham, captain no. of the pirates. Guess what his boat was called. What? Revenge. Oh, <laughs> nice. So, Would you like some revenge well, you slay a cause, dude? <laughs> Liam, you're right. Both of these characters are in Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I thought... Like, They're in official Annie, Assassin's thought, Creed canon. Yeah, I thought anybody was in Black Flag. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Anybody at Jack Rackham go sail the high seas. They be huge pieces Jack of shit Rackham. together. They they give Captain Ezio missions, uh, but but eventually um, Annie Bonnie becomes pregnant, and they land on the island of Cuba, give birth to a baby boy, and it is unknown what happened to the boy. Oh wow! Uh, eventually, it's it's assumed that they just straight up abandoned him. 
Eventually, though, they're captured, and Jack Rackham is executed, but Annie Bonnie gets out of it from from some, like, old provisional English colonial law where if you're executed, or, or if you're pregnant, you get to avoid execution until you're done being pregnant. And, oh, wow. And she That's... escaped, and her, her whereabouts following her escape from, like, talking her way out of execution for being like, no, I'm pregnant... Are are unknown. That sounds wicked. Should that badass. Yeah. They, and yeah, you know, like we're we're doing it right here. The Dan Sons. We're we're creating a uh, petition to have more pirate-based games. Mm. You are right though, because like that, the 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 real grim details of that story is. is why you enjoyed telling it so much why we liked listening to it then that is not in sea of thieves there's not there's <laughs> yeah. not an execution that stopped because a woman's pregnant in you don't sea of you thieves, don't abandon there. babies in sea of thieves yeah like on multiple occasions to just get yourself out of shit that's genuinely the game that i want the the dark pirate like fantasy is is yeah it's a completely different kind of thing and and i just like wonder how how you go from that to like Patty the pirate on SpongeBob, <laughs> or or like like whoever it was on Lazy Town, who who are just like, you you let them around your kids nowadays. You let pirates nowadays around your kids when when back in the actual pirate days, pirates were abandoning their kids. What happened? To be fair, George, yeah. I I think we could all agree in secret in this little circle here, we would abandon our prospective children for a pirate's life. <laughs> Maybe to an avoid execution. Mm, I, 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 I guess I can't say until I'm like you know they're facing the the firing squad myself. But yeah, another thing is that like it, apparently if you signed up to privateer as as a legal pirate back in the days, you were just allowed to rob and kill like merchants who who nowadays would be considered civilians. Yeah, as long as they're from. Well, anywhere else, someone someone else's anywhere nation. Else. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> It has been a surprisingly difficult conflict to get to a point in society where we have now accepted that it's generally uncool to rob and kill people because of where they happen to be born. And we still got some place to... But my god, like, sometimes... Sometimes I, I, I think of, like, how, how we've regressed in many ways, politically and socially, over the past couple of years. But my god, at least... <laughs> at least we're not going back there! Yeah, it's there's there, there is a thing with with um, like pirate inspired games. So the secret of Monkey Island is the the direct inspiration for that was the pirate of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean rides at Disneyland. Like the I feel I feel like we have yeah we've missed out a little bit of the, the grim darkness of that life. <laughs> Essentially, I'm blaming Disney for that. Yeah. Just I, I wonder because. Like I assume Disney had some some inspiration of their own that they were pulling from, and and uh, people people romanticize uh, uh, Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan nowadays, right? But they're mm. like much sooner figures in history, and and in terms of like inhumane criminals that that people romanticize and and let play with the kids, I'm. I think pirates stand out as being like a, a figure from very modern history instead, who somehow were able to make that switch. Yeah. Well, well they, they got like parrots and 
wooden legs and the quite charming. Quite charming. They'll kill you, quite but they're charming. quite charming. Yeah. That's mm. the fantasy. Alright. Just don't well, let them get uh, hold of any Slayer cores. <laughs> I, I suppose we'll be hearing more news of... We can talk about... We can talk about some boat leakage, George. Right, but it's not piracy. It's not like thievery. It's not scallywagon on the high seas. I don't... I don't see any of uh, these these news topics we have coming up that, that might provide an appropriate segue to the break. A good shoe starts from the ground up. At Eris, we make high-quality footwear. In fact, you can find Eris running shoes in over 140 countries around the world. In the past, there's been some criticism about our workers. That's why I'm here at one of the Eris factories so you can meet some of them. Excuse me, sir. Do you enjoy your job here? It's fun. We get to play with knives. <laughs> I see. Is there a real sense of teamwork? My friend Joey sewed his hands together. Wow. You're learning some real skills. How about the salary and benefits? Yesterday. I made a dollar. See, that's the kind of dedication we have to our employees and the quality of our shoes. Eris Running Shoes. Always running from something. Hello, and welcome. Welcome back to the Dad and Sons podcast. Uh, we are your dads and your sons. Mm. Um, <laughs> and It's, it's an inside joke, guests? though. We, our, our we, we don't mean... Like I, nephews? I, 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 the children <laughs> I've, had, I've had more than one fictional father throughout my games media career so i can totally fit into being a son if that works or that's that, don't that, let that them works. know don't let them know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's weird i'm sure uh, i'm sure so... there are many people out there who would want chris bratt as their dad stepdad bratt, mm, bratt, dad bratt. <laughs> yeah yeah maybe <laughs> uh... <laughs> So so, what 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 what? How how thrilled do you think those people would be if if Chris, Brad or or Pratt either either or were just like to <laughs> to leap into their TVs and start a magical wonderful adventure of collecting Chris Bratts hidden throughout <laughs> their forests in real life, getting 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 them to like explore and run around and 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 trade Chris Bratts with their friends and make their Chris Bratts battle. And that's not cruel at all, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. That doesn't sound like a cool Chris Pratt experience. You know, I just miss it. The old days where, you know, you got a Chris Pratt game and it was just, you knew what it was. It wasn't a mobile fed. It's a cool no, experience. No, they try to sell you all those Chris Plastic Pratt costumes. The Brat Packs. You got to like roll for, for cosmetic DLC from, from the Brat Packs. <laughs> the Brat, Brat Packs. Brat oh my cores. God, that's great. So speaking Brat of... Speaking of, of horrifying injustices that get gussied up uh, and sold back to kids as romantic aspirational fantasies, um, um, Grand Theft Boating is one, because uh, pirates are cool these days, right? Uh, uh, animal Fighting is two, because Pokemon is cool these days, right? Yeah, mm, but guess what, George? We can't, we can't do any Pokemon fighting anymore, because all you have to do is lob a plastic object <laughs> at the Pokemon now. There's no, there's no fighting anymore. No, there's fighting. If... Yeah, like it's there's there. there's fighting in, in, you gotta in look the deep gyms. Into the trailer, Liam. You gotta go deep. No, you you just then, wait for the odd trainer battle that appears now and again, or the gym leaders, <laughs> and then you get a battle. Wait, like, guys, like I'm hours. sorry. Did you guys see a trailer for the new Nintendo announced Pokemon tie-in game? Uh, <laughs> Pokemon 
Pikachu thing and Pokemon Evachu thing. <laughs> yeah. Which, I have a question about that, by the way. Which is the... So I'm thinking, like, Pikachu's the best pick there, right? But it's... I feel like everyone's going to go for Pikachu, which makes me want to lean towards Eevee, but is that just... Am I being a Pokemon hipster about that? Well, both uh, are you rubbish. You might be going for collector's value. Both are rubbish mm. because you can't evolve either the Pikachu into the greatest Pokemon of all time, Raichu, uh, as <laughs> found out two episodes ago on the Dinosaurs podcast, or you can't evolve the Eevee, and Eevee's fucking useless, considering Eevee... you give it... A magic rock or something, and not you can. You can, you can, but you have to find a different. <laughs> just haul a magic rock at the evil face. So no, you have to you... find a Slayer core to then infuse it with Eevee. <laughs> no, like the the Pikachu and the Eevee that you get as like the the mascot for the that game that accompanies right. you. You cannot evolve. Okay, Eevee can get fucked. Then I'm I'm sticking with Pikachu. Exactly right. You, you, What's the point? Wait, what? They switch not, your main I'm, character to Eevee? No, the, there's two different versions, you know, like with yeah, all right. Pokemon games. Yeah, but there's there's Pokemon Go Pikachu and Pokemon Go Eevee, which sound like commands. But you're giving them. They just changed the Pokemon that are in the game, right? Just no, like it's the old just days, they named right? it. Doesn't actually change that you get Pikachu when you get out of the. Yeah, so it's right? kind of like it's Pokemon a confusing. Yellow. It's like it's, Pokemon it's, Yellow, where you have Pikachu follow you instead. Right. Now you have Pikachu. Yeah. You don't have Eevee, Eevee follow but, you, is what I'm saying. But right? it's not just like Pokemon Yellow, guys. Oh, I apologize if you're confused by the trailer, confused by the name, <laughs> mm-hmm. confused by the, the description, and confused by the features. The name because this is actually a Pokemon Yellow remake, which is really important and should be the big story. It should be the big story. Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. So you're assuming that you're going to say Let's Go Eevee on an adventure and you're not going to get Pikachu if you get the Eevee version. No, it's more like we have a very multi-million dollar making app that we need to integrate somehow to get more people to play it. So we're going to take what is sacred. We're going to take like Pokemon Yellow and Red and Blue and what people love. And then... We're gonna integrate our shitty mobile games, like ge- non-existent gameplay oh mechanics, into one of the greatest like handheld RPG franchises. And then oh we're just, my god! Oh no! Is this like and Metal Gear Survive? And we're just gonna no. We're just gonna make fine. you. We're just gonna oh, make no. you for a whole <laughs> RPG. You know, RPGs are like thirty to forty hours long. What we're gonna do? Li- what we're gonna do, guys? Shut up, guys! What we're gonna do? Liam, Liam. What we're gonna Liam, do? I- Chris. What we're gonna do is we're gonna flick (laughs) our wrist for. What are we gonna do? Every five minutes, we're gonna flick our wrist at the television screen using. We're gonna slit our wrists? No! To throw a ball at a wild Pokemon. And that's it. So I think think you might be the reason, Liam, why they've turned off, like, comments and likes on the the trailer for Let's Go Pikachu. It's it's okay! It's all right. Aren't they also making a cool Pokemon game that's going to come out later on? Yeah, yeah but it's totally. It's, yeah, but you know, come on, like the guys. <laughs> Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. Pokemon Yellow for this shit. Like, Pokemon Let's Go uh, Pikachu is like the the Metal Gear Solid Three Pachinko Machine of Pokemon games, right? Chris, Chris, <laughs> like, uh, no, it's Chris, not. It's a it's a remake of oh, Yellow. Is it? They're, no? they're put. Is it's it? Fine. Because it's, it doesn't look just like extra- it, George. It doesn't look Chris, like it. Chris, it's, I want to play a game, dude. 
I don't want to play oh it's like some sort of pseudo Wii tennis again. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm, I'm guys, sure you can just turn off that feature. <laughs> Oh, remember how I mad they got literally. that we were wrong about TVs? I could print a picture of Pikachu <laughs> off, stick it to my TV, and just oh like flick God. a ball at my TV repetitively, and it would be the same as the gameplay. Can I please explain what this is? <laughs> so for anyone who it's doesn't know... Oh my God! For anyone who doesn't know, Pokemon... Go Pikachu and Evachu is a remake supposedly based on Pokemon Yellow of the, the Kanto A full-length remake, yeah, of Pokemon Yellow, which supposedly, is a re-release of Pokemon Red slash Blue. They don't say that. They don't say that. They say and it's based on... It's, yeah, it's on, based on... Right? It's based yeah, on. They haven't it said it's a remake or a remaster or anything. It's just based on those games with mechanics from those games. But unlike so other it's not a remake, Pokemon though. games... It's based on... Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. So, but <laughs> unlike those games, like or, or all Pokemon games of the mainline series, yeah, and this is the first 3D console Pokemon game. Like that is a big fucking which deal, is right? really important. Yeah, like forgetting like Pokemon like Stadium back on the N64 and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's yeah, different. no fuck that. This is a real ass Pokemon console game, real you guys. RPG Shit's getting come on, get hyped. Wild battles. <laughs> With the shitty Pokemon Go game, I quote game because it's not a fucking game, like, control shit. Like, this is a 30-hour RPG. Like, it's not like an application you pull out for five minutes. It's a fucking RPG. And you're just going to be, like, flicking balls. No. Okay, okay, you don't know if the, that motion control target throwing minigame is going to be a part of the real thing. What they, what they were doing were outlining the fe features that were integrating with Pokemon Go, which is some stupid, like, throwaway no, safari. No, no, they've, can... they've said there's no wild battles. They said it's replaced by the ball-throwing mechanic from Pokemon Go. There's no sure? wild battles. The traditional battles take place in trainer battles, and I am assuming, like, the gym battles as well. The trainer battles is like the shit where it tells you, like you can use your like Thunderbolt, Pikachu, and all that kind of shit. But the actual wild battles where you catch Pokemon is like Pokemon oh. Go. Are you oh. sure? Yes. Yeah. No, that looks that looks right. It okay, is. so I didn't know that. I thought you were getting very very cross for reasons I didn't understand. No. I, I, no. I mean, I still think that to some extent, but like, yes, yeah, it looks like that is a pretty big shift away from. No, they're removing wild battles completely with this Pokemon Go mechanic. I don't know whether it's going to have like an automated system where for the people who just don't want to do that shit, we'll just capture the Pokemon automatically, which makes the game hella not fun. You know, forgetting aside the whole running into yeah, 50 I wouldn't, I wouldn't in be Mount so Moon sure. But, but this. People wanted well, people to people wanted a, a game freak to change Pokemon, and now they have. So enjoy. Um, <laughs> I, I also I also don't understand like the the balancing because you could bring another friend in and then battle with your friend against trainers. Like I feel like the balance of the meta of Pokemon is going to be thrown out the window with this game. So this is like the right. this is the question. They're still time. gonna have the regular battle system. Yes, for trainer battles, not for wild battles. Like you, like catching Pokemon 
unless they're going to have a mechanic where you face like legendaries and you get to battle them it for wild pokemon battles it doesn't have the traditional battle system instead it has the pokemon go type gameplay where you just throw pokeballs at them for a chance to catch them so like the Minute first tagline immediately when you type this in is pokemon let's go has no wild battles but you can ride a charizard so like take that as you will that's what you're getting what 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 I see this as is the experimental first step into integrating real ass Pokemon games onto the Nintendo Switch with whatever Nintendo's portable next gen consoles are gonna be, and and I don't know maybe it'll just be phone and maybe there just won't be a difference between just the two anymore. Phone, but man. isn't this what you wanted? Isn't this what everyone wanted when they were announcing the Switch? Everyone's like, oh, I can't wait until a real Pokemon game comes out on the Switch. And now it is. It's got some stupid extra features you can ignore. But it, they're basically doing it with the remake of Yellow, like, like getting ignore. the Gen 1 adults back. You can't in. Ignore, yeah. I, like I think I'm, I'm switching over to Liam's side, which I'm, I'm quite upset about. Cause and there we go. We're, we're now there, like, rabid Pokemon fans. Like, like it's it's not know, like it was when I was a kid. Like, I totally understand there are problems with the battle system in the wild battles. Like, you know, when you're facing off with the Zubat for the fiftieth fucking time, it's like fuck off, right? But the the answer to that and the solution is not to just be like, well, how about we take it all away from you, and now we'll integrate like our little application that everyone got bored of within like a month. And we will make our first ever 3D RPG on consoles that is a remake of one of everyone's most treasured favorite gaming memories from the 90s. And we will replace it by throwing a tennis ball at a Pokemon as the mechanic that you do repetitively for hours and hours and hours. Like, it's just yeah, that's, that stings a little bit. It stings a little bit. I'm sorry, answer. George. I, he's, he's won me over here. I... I, I yeah. I don't know, but I, I, we don't. Is there know a chance enough. here that we're that we're we're getting a bit old, and actually, people that loved Pokemon Go will enjoy that? I think it is definitely that thing. There is obviously an incentive for people who play Pokemon Go but don't play Pokemon to get into the Pokemon series via this, or vice versa. People who play the Pokemon handheld games to get into Pokemon Go by playing this game and then having the connectivity of trading the Pokemon between the Switch to your mobile and doing stuff like that, that's totally cool. I get that. I, I just but can't it should wait be a for choice. all these older YouTubers that are playing Pokemon to get this game and they have to wiggle around their Joy-Cons on camera. But it should be a choice, right? It should be a choice. It's like it, you could choose to throw the Pokeball like Pokemon Go or have the traditional battle like if you're including the battle system to do like trainer battles and gym battles anyway just include it for wild battles as well if people want to choose like a casual mode that allows you to just use the pokemon go mechanics totally do that as well that's fine but it's just weird that but, you're just well, gonna yeah remove that's like everything kind of what i mean i'm i'm i i, I am seeing like remake plus bullshit that we might not really know how bullshitty it is just yet. That's the thing is, yeah, I... we have not seen enough, so I could totally be wrong. But they have confirmed that the wild battles are replaced by a Pokemon Go-like mechanic. Where and I always you... assumed that that their first step would be like a kind of a half step for for bringing Pokemon over to consoles. That they would do some experimenting first before the real thing. 
Yeah, because they I, do that with Pokemon a lot. There's a lot of spin-off games that are not relevant to the main installments at all. No. Yeah, I think that's how you have to think about this game by the sounds of it. It's it hard is, to think of it like that. When it's it's difficult first... with it with it being the first one though. Yeah, yeah I get that. And I'm totally that's, down that's with people, more people enjoying Pokemon and all that kind of thing. That's great. That's awesome. I wish in many ways Pokemon would change to be more difficult and also have more incentive to play like an RPG style strategy game kind of thing. Obviously, Pokemon has been notoriously easy for years, but the way of making it easier by basically just allowing you to throw a ball at a Pokemon to catch it is just like, I kind of don't want to play this this is oh but you will i can just i, I can know. see you sitting in your apartment just like <laughs> throwing so, that pokeball towards I'm the so tv angry. screen like a having the time of your so life angry, too. But i've got five pre-orders in already it's, <laughs> it's one oh of those. my god yeah. speaking of bad decisions uh. <laughs> um, yeah, of of pre-ordering games that are kind of like weird spin-off sequels that you don't really know how they work and how they fold into the main franchise. Uh, they're doing that with Fallout now. They have revealed a Fallout 76. So I guess the previous 72 games they must have prototyped and thrown away in the previous process since Fallout 74 might have uh, been scrapped. But Fallout 76... Uh, has been revealed with a teaser trailer that looks like your typical Fallout teaser trailer. Yeah. A camera pans through a dilapidated, uh, de lovingly detailed mm -hmm. environment with some uh, lovingly crusty old retro music playing in the background. This Bit time, of Ron as well. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it looks like a regular fully installed fully full installment of the Fallout franchise by this teaser trailer, but the name uh, and a story from Jason Schreier on Kotaku suggests that it's actually going to be a weird spin-off sequel that's kind of an online co-op MMO thing. Uh, Schreier says that his sources, speaking anonymously so as not damage their careers, confirm that Fallout 76 is an experimental new entry in the long-running post-apocalyptic series. Their new... Bethesda's newest studio in Austin is supposedly helping this one out. And uh, the online angle comes from him describing it as an online survival RPG that's heavily inspired by games like Daisy and Rust, according to people familiar with the project. Three people, three sources. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, you look at that trailer and you do not see experimental. Fo the only thing that gives away that it's experimental is the name, that it's not a core. And I've title. always wanted more so experimental similar. fallouts. Yeah, I wonder. Oh, it's it's just a bit of a jump, isn't it? I don't really know how to feel about it. I just don't want to see Bethesda jank on a MMO level. I just don't. I just don't want to do. Have it. have have any of us played the Elder Scrolls yeah, Online? I played a lot of it. A lot of it. I played it in the beta, and I played it after the beta. And and I ain't. It's it's. You, you don't sound like you got your hopes up. The, the thing is. If you like just going around and talking to people and doing the quests, the quests are fun. The quests are nice. This is exactly what you want in like a Skyrim-ish game. You know, you, you do weird quests with weird people and that's fun. But the gameplay is always Bethesda garbage. It's, it's very always weird to say that just because... this janky ass, like sidewalking type stuff. Like it's just... No. <laughs> it's really weird no. that you say that because the most popular 
online games are PUBG, Rust, and like H1Z1. And what? Fortnite. And they are the, like, they are like actually the... got it right and kicked yeah, but... everyone's ass. So, I, I... But they're still janky as fuck. Like, may, a, a barring Fortnite, which, you know, doesn't particularly look aesthetically pleasing. What, Fortnite? Yeah. Fortnite looks fine. <sighs> it, it's the cartoon. But you know what I mean? Like, PUBG and, like, and, it works. and Rust, janky as fuck. Rust is janky. Everything else is janky. Everything else is janky. Fortnite is the only and one that made it clean-ish. Funny that all of these janky games are serving as influences for the polished AAA games. Yeah. I just polish and Bethesda. Let's hope Fallout's actually polished because they don't have a good track record on polish. Okay. Yeah. So so Fallout 76 uh, might also refer to the Vault 76 canonically in the universe who who opened up 20 years after the bombs fell. So the setting would be really different as well. Uh, I don't know if uh, that means that the, the, the world might be more or less crappy as it is in the 200 centuries since. I, I suppose we'll find out. But I think, I think based, based off of like the general old lore, um, the, the society you see in Fallout 1 and 2 on the West Coast is supposed to be like pretty highly developed compared to what, what you would have been seeing in, in 2076 after those bombs. But... This is Bethesda. It's a video game. It's pure fiction. They can do whatever the fuck they want. I just don't know if I like the idea of a online co-op MMO spin-off style. Even though I can totally see it, it totally makes sense with the brand. It it evokes that kind of uh, rugged survivalist fantasy that... Is it MMO or is it online co-op? I guess we don't want to say until we see more. Jason Schreier is uh, positing it as an online MMO-style game, similar to, to the Rust and the Daisies, but I don't know if I would call those MMOs either. I feel like MMO, <coughs> they might fail at it, but people will still yeah, play. I, I don't know if he uses... I don't think he uses work. the words MMO. I think it's, it's more like he says online service, so which yeah. is a bit more... Uh, yeah, so not I, I don't I'm not getting the sense that this is going to be like Elder Scrolls Online at all. Okay, I don't good. I don't think if it's an online co-op thing, I can see it being okay. That'll give them more time to clean up. And there have been attempts at online Fallout in the past. That's not too far out of the brand. I I just I, I guess I'd worry about like Jank Number One and lack of RPG mechanics number two, which is kind of a direction Bethesda's been taking Fallout in in the first place, but I find it easy to imagine an online Fallout, I just find it hard to imagine an online Fallout done by the same Bethesda that makes Fallout 4 in the same engine mm -hmm. that made the old Fallouts, because mm -hmm. that's that's not the engine, If correct me, I, I'm pretty darn sure that's not the engine they would have used at all for Elder Scrolls Online and no. I cannot imagine... So, I, I, th I think the fact that it's the Austin studio may, may well be a positive then. The fact that the it is a difference. different team. Yeah, like they were Battlecry before then. So it worked. Um, and so their experience isn't in 
in like single player RPGs, it is a different kind of team. I don't know. This is the one thing. Like considering most of E3 has already leaked uh, already. Like I, this is the the <laughs> thing that I'm excited to see more about. Like I, I've watched the trailer and I have no idea what to expect still, and that's that's kind of cool. Even though I, I just looked up Battlecry, they haven't done much either. Were that was were they something before they? Yeah, yeah, it was cancelled. Yeah, it was like uh, a hero shooter kind of thing, right? Yes. And since so, then, they, uh, more like they Overwatch. Helped out with Doom, and then got renamed into Bethesda Game Studios Austin. Oh, I simulated. So that's kind of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're in unknown, I think. I, 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 I prefer that to it being the core Bethesda Studio and seeing like a single-player RPG developer trying to do some kind of weird spin-off. I like the idea that it's someone fresh. But I mean, them being knows like a studio that was completely focused on an online-based shooter, I guess, gives huge gravitas to the to the leaks that it is an yeah. online-based thing. So it'll be certainly interesting to see it if it's a, and I've already said this, if it's a 76-man battle royale inside of a vault, you heard it here first. I, I honestly think Jason Schreier has helped Bethesda a lot here because had we all been going into E3 with the expectation that this was the next single-player Fallout game and then we oh, found out the disappointment. that it wasn't, <laughs> the, the, it yeah. would have been crazy. At least this has sort of tempered expectations a little bit in advance. So good job on him if these sources are accurate. Well, I guess I guess the problem of misleading trailers might be getting a little out of hand as the years go on from here on out cuz that's like two uh in a row of people yeah. just being like kind of confused, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what kind of game these sequels are going to be. Um the the AC sequel <laughs> this well, year's AC sequel leaked got leaked and then confirmed. <laughs> I love that it was leaked by Keyring. What the hell? Oh, can I so I know, uh, having spoken to someone that was at a preview event for um, for that game, or, or had, had seen something to do with it beforehand, and then the, the embargo will, will lift with the announcement E3, as you'd expect. Yeah. I know that they were taking that event extremely seriously, like beyond any level I'd, I'd oh, no. heard of before, that they were so worried about leaks that they were like going to new levels to ensure they didn't happen. And the fact that... <laughs> Despite that, it was a key ring in a retail shop that has leaked the whole thing is just mind-blowing. Wow. What are you talking I... about? This this doesn't look like an Assassin's Creed Odyssey key ring at all. It looks like a Kojima <laughs> Productions key ring. Okay. Like, what were they thinking? Why you take the risk? Are key rings that important to your marketing cycle? Like, I don't <sighs> think they should be. So, so in case you're already also, a big fan, Odyssey. Like, <laughs> yeah, Mario Odyssey came out like a year before <laughs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It's gonna be weird. That is really weird. Like people wouldn't think that would be weird, but that really is weird. You can't just like a year later come out with one of the other big AAA franchises and be like, "Hey, look, Odyssey." <laughs> ah. It's it's an SEO play. They're after that Google search. You know it. So and, and also just in case you know you're already a fan of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and you want all the hottest Assassin's Creed Odyssey merchandise to uh, fill up your <laughs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey themed bedroom with, get you, your keyrings. You, you you it's been released yeah you, news good news for you assassin's creed odyssey key rings 
now available at the E3 literal floor. God, it was a um, it was a T-shirt with um, Origins actually. With the, that was the Assassin's Creed. Like the last game was leaked by a wasn't, T-shirt. This time, a key. Wow, wasn't Black Flag like, they or Assassin's Creed a T-shirt? Wasn't it Assassin's Creed Three or Black Flag that was a poster? Oh my god! Yeah, it was like a big poster, like a promotional poster. Was uh, is is the Assassin's next one going to be a like? Is <laughs> like. Assassin's Creed Iliad gonna be like a, a novelty plate. <laughs> like, yeah, like, what a else? Vape stick. A commemorative. Yeah, this will inevitably get leaked plate. <laughs> or like a pillowcase or something. I don't know. There's like, there's I... not many more places you could go from like keyring from t-shirt in terms of sh- decayed usability. I'm struggling to believe that they didn't mean for this to happen. If, like, the last game was a t-shirt, the one before was a poster, and then this time they went for key rings, which are so... I, oh, you know, how my much, God. How many key rings do you need to sell to make that a profitable venture? So, a lot, I imagine. When I when I go to the E3 next year, I'm going to keep a sharp eye out on everyone's socks. There might be Assassin's Creed Shawshank Redemption socks oh out there on the floor somewhere. Christ. It's amazing. I... God, oh, you got to feel for the people that are in charge of that marketing campaign. If they put like, <laughs> it's like this is this is like the highlight of their professional like yeah, they're waiting for E three. They've got their announcement perfectly cued. They they really they, they, they spent months of meetings leading up to this moment, and then it happens like that. Assassin's and it's funny Creed, because you can tell like the, the tutors uh, you know when they water. when they were just like oh well fuck it, and they were like see you at E three, and they posted the Spartan kick video. Yeah, yeah. You could you could classy. tell that was like thrown together in a day because like the models are all janky and the the like the cut with the the kick like the they don't actually like body. animate the kick and the body just like flies across flies the screen up, like yeah. it's some sort of yeah. superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was there was some venom in that tweet. I think there was that, oh, like. Yeah. Passive aggression. <laughs> so the titular Assassin's Creed Odyssey keyring features a a old like copper toned trojan helmet uh it's called assassin's creed odyssey any any guesses where and when it might take place uh america 2012 oh man that's a good that's a good time (laughs) it it feels like a fucking eternity ago That's Assassin's Creed Bunny Hop. Look for uh, the the commemorative. I'm thinking of major historical events that happened that year, and you know that's when that's when I started the channel. I want, so. I want one in America <laughs> in the 90s. Yeah, those are. Those well, are. we'll keep an eye out for Assassin's Creed commemorative ballpoint pins that uh, might might reveal Beatboxes. Assassin's Creed in the hood. Yeah, Will Smith, the Fresh Prince, his cameo in there. Oh, yeah. You just yeah. run around the rooftops of of Southern LA yeah. trying to escape. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, speaking of uh, of franchises <laughs> that that have lasted a little long, this podcast has gone on a little while. We should we should probably switch to questions. We, we got some specific Chris Brett questions. The... <laughs> great, great. He's like uh, the, uh, he's, like, he's like the guy from Anchorman. Just said it, but. Anything on the teleprompter, he'll read. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking, speaking of things on the teleprompter that I'm reading, Tim O.P., uh, Timo, t- t- Timo, Timmy, Timmy P. asks Timmy a very P. important question for Chris Bratt. 
Hello, dad, sons, and brat. My question is, <laughs> if you could be a bottle opener, how many bottles would you open? Thanks. Is so this I, you, an inside joke? For, you like, you put these questions into, like, the you, like so that we can all see them on a Google Doc. And I saw that and was like, oh, fucking hell, there's a dad and sons in-joke that I'm not aware of. Really? I'm just going to mess this up. I, it's nothing to do with me. I don't, I, I don't think I've got a, a bottle opener joke ready to go at this stage. Yeah, we don't joke about bottle openers here on the, the Dad and Sons podcast spectacular. I take them very seriously. No, Apparently. no, yeah, it's, I, it's not a laughing matter. My, my, my dad Sorry, lost his finger in a bottle opener. All right, well, how many bottles would you open? Like, how much like would you drink in one sitting? As, I like, no, but he phrases too. the question as, if you could be. Like, if Chris physically oh. was a bottle opener. Oh, if you bottle? could be. <laughs> Would you be a commemorative Assassin's Creed Odyssey bottle Oh my opener? god, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I would, I would open no bottles, but I would leak one major franchise. Oh my god. <laughs> and instead of opening bottles, you open circle. scoops. Wow. <laughs> Reading <Yeah>. comprehension. <laughs> I don't want to play fillers. Give a give a number, Pratt. Give a number. Um, forty-seven bottles, and then I'd be done. Oh, and okay. I'd be like, nope. <laughs> I, okay. I draw a line there. I'm a human. God damn it. <laughs> forty-seven Reasonable. bottles and one Ubisoft game leaked. I, I, I think that's exactly. that's a good record. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, now that we've answered that question, um, <laughs> thank you, Tim O'Pete. Let's move on to Sam M. <laughs> Sam M says, first of all, Kirks, thanks for all the great content you have created over the years working at Eurogamer. And thank you, Matt, for the amazing Japan videos, which were incredibly well edited. My question oh. is directed to the British participants of the podcast. So I'm sorry that, you know, you got your hopes up there, Matt. But, uh, <laughs> you got the compliment. It's fine. Is your thick British accent a curse or a blessing? <laughs> How does it affect your daily life? What challenges did you have to overcome in the past because of it? Right. Oh, and then of course, greetings from Germany. Yeah, Sam. there we go. That is such a like German sense. I can just imagine I like the sarcasm <laughs> there, like the deadpan. Oh, I, I think probably the major issue that I, I've had to overcome is the fact that German people describe it as a thick British accent. Yeah, well, I <laughs> and, think, yeah. to be fair, me and Chris have very, very normal, not thick British accents. I don't mm. know. I, mm. I actually sort of wish mine was a little easier. I think, um, so I've, I grew up in like the Midlands in England, so it's, it's sort of, a, I had started off with a, a weird accent, but then it sort of got diluted as I moved around mm, the country and now yeah, it's just too. it's no it's not like I can say I have a particular region's accent it's just like a mix of a bunch of I different just ones have so flat, it's confusing even for English people I just have a flat one and the, in, living in Japan it's become even more diluted now I just talk very clearly and slowly most of my daily life so how does it affect my daily life I sound like this when I'm talking to people most of the time so that they understand my very simple English <laughs> commands to them. Yes, pure, wonderful, little, young Japanese lady, I will have that chicken karage you have over there. Thank you. Pure? Nice. You say pure? <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me. That's, that's a whole other issue. I was, using the, I was using British English, okay, Matt? I know you didn't understand. 
then we have American <laughs> I, English over there. <laughs> I feel I feel like one of considering I've just had to add, add subtitles to my first episode of People Make Games. I feel like it probably is a bit of a curse. Yes. So thank you, Sam from Germany, for pointing that out. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's not like I was self-conscious or anything. No, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm Everyone fine. else is wrong. Stop screaming it, Chris. No one will believe you. <laughs> it's not a core Pokemon game. <laughs> but I. The, there's a lot of articles that are claiming it's a remake of Yellow. Okay, anyways. Um. Jonas K uh, asks, how much do you think local culture influences the games produced in an area? Does this extend to large studios? Maybe even franchises produced by separate studios in separate regions? Is this because of the personal taste of the devs or to cater to a local market? How small can an area oh get? Is there such a thing as an East or West Coast game? Oh, oh. Well, that is a loaded question. But, but I like... I, I know what they're talking about specifically. But I think with and, large and studios, because we live in an age of multiculturalism, thank God, uh, that maybe gets a little lost until you move into localization, and then that's when the sort of cultural influences get put into video games. Oh, but I feel it's very visible. Uh, yeah, because, you know, big, large AAA games in, in go many through cases. localization. So then you see mm-hmm. the product of the localization, not so much maybe the dev work with smaller studios i imagine it's hella fucking prominent because i mean what else did those guys know they don't have anyone else to uh, bat back and forth ideas with or to see what wouldn't make sense to other people because you know they're working as smaller teams in a certain area and in jonas's or or i don't know, i might want to say jonas's email uh, itself, they they already like acknowledge how much more German the the humor and themes of like Drakensang would be compared to Dungeons and Dragons and the uh, uh, the, the the humor in in Daedalic adventure games in comparison to Double Fine like in in something like Europa Universalis, there are games that strike me as particularly European in a weird way that's mm-hmm. sometimes hard to describe. Yeah. Uni- Europa Universalis is totally like. For that and Wipeout VR for some reason <laughs> both like strike me as 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 games that 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 just like strike me as being typically European somehow. I mean, Wipeout VR has you listening to to repetitive drum and bass techno music in a very uh, muted utilitarian, not very uh, uh, romantic or violent vision of a future. Just 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 a practical, reasonable one. And and Europa Universalis is is like classy and ref- oh it's continental compared to the like pop culture guff that uh, comes out of most places. Europa Universalis has uh, this this air of um of of historied superiority to it. Yeah, I've seen it. It's like and it is not ashamed of that at all. It it's it is a wonderful gigantic spreadsheet and it's completely okay with that. Yeah, I that I it is a difficult one. That is such an interesting comparison when you look at that game compared to Civilization, and how fundamentally different they are. And I, I think I, because of where they're made. I think it extends to bigger studios as well. Like like Dead Rising One feels way more of a Japanese game than the sequels to that franchise, 
Whereas Dead Rising 1 was was like this uh, cute pastiche parody of, of an American shopping mall with an American movie motif. The the rest of the games get like darker and grittier and, and don't have as many like translation issues. They definitely feel more Western even though they're of a Japanese franchise. And that's because it was at that point in the franchise when they shipped it out to the Canadians instead. And uh, even then, like, there's, there's, I feel like, kind of differences between Canadian and American games, like, on a more minute level. Like, Canadian games tend to be a lot of what people complain about, recycled AAA stuff these days. American, and, and they also tend to um, be a little more critical about the American state of the world than the American games themselves. Watch Dogs comes from Montreal. Call of Duty comes from California. And uh, one of those is a very, like, recycled, built-together-by-assembly-lines AAA sandbox about <laughs> dystopian American surveillance programs. The other one is, uh, like, quick cinematic movie about, about American heroes saving the day abroad, right? There's, there's a lot of interesting cultural juxtapositions to look at. Even even on levels and places you might not really be expecting them to. What about the east or west coast idea? Is that I'm, oh I'm oh sure yeah? Even that. then, like uh, it's it's a topic of conversation that comes up a lot when looking at Rockstar games because Rockstar games of the east and west coast uh, studios have a very very different flavor as well, and people tend to actually rate the west coast Rockstar sandboxes higher than the east coast ones. Wait, what? And uh. Yeah, yeah, GTA San Andreas and GTA Five, I I believe, are like more of fan favorites than four and three and Yeah, but they're made by Scottish people. <laughs> no, no, they have a studio in New York and a studio in yeah, New York San Diego, I believe, is their yeah, West Coast. New York one? don't do any dev work. New York's a publishing oh. studio. Oh. New York oh, is my like bad. Yeah, I think New York Rock's is there north of uh, Scotland. Yeah, North is the main GTA studio. In San Diego are the guys who make Red Dead. That's why you can tell yeah, San Diego. The, the difference between Red Dead and GTA. There are vastly big differences between those two styles of game. And, and, the way and that that's what I, what, I, what I meant. I, I was yeah. totally wrong about like Rockstar having a development office in New York that was publishing. But you can tell I mean, which one is, is made. And you go to Scotland, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, technically. And uh, the, the West Coast ones tend to have... Like a little, a little more of a well-remembered storyline, a, a setting more informed by by the history of of the studio's location, whereas the the East Coast games tend to be the like grittier, messier ones. People don't seem to like to remember as well. I don't know. GTA Five is the highest-selling video game of all time, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, but like that, and in the world of of internet forum bickering. Uh, sales numbers don't exactly represent uh, uh, accolades and, and esteem. Anyways, do you guys have any any more? Oh, you've just gone a little quiet there. Or was that on my end? No, he did go a little quiet. He started mumbling. That's why. Yeah. Usually, oh, we, okay. usually, <laughs> usually we just ignore him then, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he comes back. Uh, Elia M wants to know what's the best unfinished game we've played, which can mean either a game in early access or a completely finished game, which just gives you the impression of being unfinished. Mm. So like a janky game. Uh, my my answer is Cortex Command. It was a two D 
uh, side-scrolling sandbox action game that had a really impressive physics engine. It was in early access forever. Super duper janky and unfinished, but I had a blast with it. I thought it was extremely promising. And it was the first early access game I really got into and gave the benefit of the doubt to. And I believe I played it in like 2009 and it did not come out for real until 2012. I've got horribly uncool mainstream answers to this question, sorry. Um, but World of Warcraft was the first game I played where it felt like things were changing each and every month and that the an expansion was like building towards a big finale and that you, you weren't there yet and mm-hmm. you were just going through the paces to get to it. And when did you get gosh. into it? Uh, very start of Burning Crusade. So that was like 2005-ish? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Which is oh, also I when I was getting into it, and I remember getting the same feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Oh, I. Oh, that looks like Burning Crusade was a little bit later than that. So very start of 2007. Um, but the hype towards it, and the fact that the dark portal was opening, and it felt like a real place in the world, and that the, there was a whole other game on the side of it, on the other side of that portal. Um, yeah, I'd never really thought about games changing so. Uh, fluidly until I played WoW. But that's not cool, is it? Cortex Commander sounds... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Command sounds a lot more interesting. Well, Sorry. I assure you that that actually getting into World of Warcraft during its its golden years was uh, was the one that might give you better 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 stories oh, to tell, a better groundwork for pop culture references. Yeah. Yeah, because... I, I, I tried World of Warcraft around the same time, but it didn't hit me. Maybe because it wasn't on the Nintendo Switch! <laughs> oh my god, the ultimate combination. Matt and Liam, do you got any un- unfinished I can't goodies? Really think of anything. Yeah, I usually finish my games. Unless oh. it's bad. And then I just, that wouldn't count for this list. <laughs> and it, but I usually finish ones that even that I don't like just to see. No, 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 no. We, we mean like, like games that are unfinished. Whether, oh. whether or not you finish them for the developers. And they Matt, felt you, unfinished <laughs> too. Matt, right? you need to stay the fuck away from Pillars too, dude. No, no, I, I, look, look, listen, 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 I, I, I remembered what you said, and then you said something after, and it totally confused me, and my brain's set on that, about it, if it felt unfinished. Um, I guess the only game that would hit that, which is the one I didn't want to say, was Dead Cells, because that was kind of recent. Uh, it was oh, unfinished. yeah, that's... But it's very highly, highly talked about as well. Yeah, Dead Cells, um... It's real good. It's it's real good now. Uh, back then it was kind of kind of bad. Now it's good. Um, I think that's that'll be my pick because early access is not like Rust and all that. I I, I don't didn't really think of them as the best, really. I think the best time I had with PUBG was actually before it properly released. And it was it was like early doors. There was one map, and there it felt like there were such huge ambitions for that game before it sort of butted heads with Fortnite. I think actually I preferred the game back then. Weirdly enough, weird had a different I mean, feel to it. How how different? Oh, it, it just I think um, it was something to do with. It, it was the first uh, Battle Royale game that I properly jumped into. It didn't feel like it... It felt like it was setting its own um, rules within that space. And uh, as Fortnite sort of emerged and became this big titan for it to try and battle with, it 
it, now it feels like it's a game that's trying to hold on to a, a lead it once had and compete with this this huge thing next to it. Whereas back then when it was in early access and it was like the first of its kind on that scale, um, it, it felt like development was 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 kind of unexpected. You didn't know what was going to happen next. You didn't know other than um, like at some point there'll be new maps and new features. Like I remember one of the first biggest announcements for PUBG and I was at... Um, I think I was at E3 Thor, and it was during the PC Gamer Show, and they announced that vaulting was coming to the game, and people just lost their shit <laughs> in that room. It was like, like yeah, die. It, was, it was like the biggest thing that could have happened, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that moment has, has very much passed now. Like, now if, if PUBG announces something, the response is like, yeah, well, it shouldn't have taken you this long anyway, or like, Fortnite did that already, or fuck you, Brendan Green, just because <laughs> I don't really, if the tone's changed. <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I think one of the best times I had with a game that was in early access was Hearthstone. Not to jump on the Blizzard thing oh, again, but um, when that that's was that's also like, a good reference to have. Yeah, when that was like in beta, or I think I played it in alpha. That was one of the best experiences I had had with a game that was not out yet and not finished. I I enjoyed playing that yeah. a lot. Um, and that brought me back into sort of playing card games again. And then when the full version came out, I played it for for maybe like a year or so, but I didn't last very long after that. Yeah. Games don't excite well, me anymore. I think something's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not, you're not on the, the truth comes out. Train, Matt. Yeah. I think there's something interesting, though. though. Like, again, with Hearthstone, it, there's something about the feeling of what, what that game could be back then was so exciting because yeah, I remember I when Hearthstone was, was first revealed yeah no one had particular expectations for it whereas now with Hearthstone it, there's a feeling like although they, they have some really clever expansions it feels like the, a lot of what's driving those expansions is keeping hold of the player base they've got or trying to bring back the people that have, have left since and it's a different sort of style of development it's more about maintaining the business of Hearthstone yeah than, well, way back then the team was smaller and it was just like oh let's let's I wonder what this is going to turn out to be mm, agreed agreed it was just it was, I can't it was tell so anymore if I have good intuition or not because PUBG apparently nowadays on Steam its reviews are kind of negative mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a little little mixed leaning negative uh it's like six out of ten on... there's a story actually uh last week i don't know i haven't looked into it too much but i saw the headline that the player base for PUBG has some, yeah. something like halved since january is that right they've they've been dealing with some some bad cheating problems and i'm just like scrolling through some reviews from longer players who are like talking about how it started off great but the base game was just never able to get polished up enough yeah, and the I, game has stayed I, in a consistently janky state even after its official release. So, and the Xbox One version they made was just a complete and utter like failure. Almost, it obviously bought in players and stuff like that, but it was a mess. Um, yeah, but it hasn't kept them. Yeah, and it just right. hasn't kept that, them. Whereas, whereas you Fortnite know, as, consoles. as Matt says, Fortnite is this polished. Uh, obviously started out as something completely different and they jumped on this bandwagon of Battle Royale, but they did it correctly. They did it right. They cleaned it up. And they cleaned it up and they, and they, they have made it exciting with by adding stuff like Thanos into it and they keep... They, they did what World of Warcraft did. They destroyed their own map and like... 
made it a super exciting event. Like they they've done all this really cool stuff around it that, you know, I'm not surprised to see people <laughs> dropping off PUBG. But PUBG added vaulting that time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the vaulting. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. I I can't tell if that means that that I have intuition or or cynicism or or curmudgeonism oh or or or, <laughs> or if, if if games just aren't uh, tickling our fancy like they used to here at the the Dad and Sons podcast. Oh no, Moonlighter is good. That's good. I feel like I would like Monster Hunter World when that pops up though. Yeah, I feel the like, way out is yeah. only okay. Oh god. Pillars it's fine. 2 this, is good. This is supposed to happen before E3. You'll we'll we'll get we'll get something to look forward to. Dude, Sakurai tweeted about the Nintendo Direct for next week. I'm all aboard the E3 hype train knowing that. <laughs> oh my gosh, Liam, you're going to have to balance us out then cuz Balance cause us out. Just, <laughs> you know what it's like. Grumble. Every yeah. podcast is like Matt and George, uh, like the same old, the, the old guys, and it's like, who's this annoying <laughs> young guy who's fucking... <laughs> He's really fucking mad about Pokemon this week. Oh, Why is it that I'm less grumbly about something than you are, Liam, and that of all the things because it's Pokemon? Because they're shitty mobile games mechanics. Oh no, what have we done? But I... You could give it like a benefit of the doubt that the, the I, idea I is I solid. Give... They just look like nothing throwaway boiling features. I give everything the benefit of the doubt, but this is an outrage. <laughs> no! It, Chris okay. agreed it's with okay, me. okay, Liam. Liam, I, I'm, I'm worried about you. <laughs> there it is. I'm okay. I'll survive.